girl, hey, you've entered baddie behavior, where the breast cancer baddies come together with other survivors and thrivers to have candid conversations about life, sex, body changes, and relationships after breast cancer in a judgment-free space. All are welcome. Let's get started. Hey y'all, my name is Miranda and I am one of the OG Baddie Ambassadors with For the Breast of Us. I was diagnosed in 2016 with stage 3 hormone positive breast cancer. I live in Houston, Texas and I am a stay-at-home mom with a family of five. I have used my breast cancer diagnosis to motivate me and propel me into volunteering more with the breast cancer community. I love connecting women with each other and resources just to help make their lives a little bit easier. Thank you, Ms. Trish, for being here. I have one half of the lovely Hip Hop Happy Hour here, and we're just going to be talking about all things advocacy in the community, just advocating for yourself and how you got started. Just going to share what we can teach, what you have to share with other young women who are newly diagnosed and how they can learn to advocate for themselves. So um, why don't you just give me a little background about who you are, where you're from, and how it is that you kind of got into advocacy. Thanks, I'm happy to be here. My name is Trish, uh, Trish, New York City. I'm from New York City. Um, I was diagnosed in 2016, I found my lump. Um, and I guess that's part of where the advocacy begins, right? The first mm -hmm. time when you have to kind of fight for yourself. So I fought for getting a mammogram because I was not 40 at the time, no history, and um, was subsequently diagnosed with the invasive ductal carcinoma, um, initially staged one, and then on the operating table post uh, what the tumor bore, they upstaged me to stage three. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. 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 When they saw it at first with the MRIs and the scans and this and that, they told me, oh, it's like tiny. And so you, actually you could probably even just like get a lumpectomy and move on with your life. But I think um, I was just so, I'll say the word caught off guard. That doesn't seem like it really encapsulate the feeling, but like, since I was so caught off guard that I, felt like the immediate distrust of my body. And so I was like, mm -mm, I don't want to lump like to me. I want you to take every last bit of anything that could be connected to this cancer out. And so um, because I had the great misfortune of having twins many years ago, I was carrying this <laughs> un unwelcome kangaroo pouch that they were able to make and mold and shape into new breasts. So I had oh, a deep flap. Yes. So yeah, it was a little bit of vanity on my part. In, in the midst of my sorrow, I picked um, a little vanity. Um, but that is the second decision that saved my life because, um, you know, deep flap is so invasive. Yeah. That, um, yeah, it was on the operating table that my plastic surgeon found uh, 
um, a micrometastasis in my chest wall. And so it's a little game changer. Now I'm stage three and then chemo and the whole shebang. And so, um, yeah, I mean, listen, even going back a little bit, my son, I have twins. One of them um, had leukemia two years before my cancer diagnosis. And so really it was his, it was being a caretaker for him and then navigating my own journey with cancer that I realized that like taking a backseat to your treatment is not going to render the results that it can if you yeah. are an active participant. Um, and that being a quote unquote, just like good guy that gets along, why does it go along and get along? Mm-hmm. It doesn't work in that kind of setting. You have to be the squeaky wheel. You have to kind of make noise and make yourself known or else you'll just get disregarded. So that's why kind of the I, origin story. Yeah. Why do you think I'm sorry for interrupting? Um, no, no, go ahead. Why do you think it is that so many people don't speak up for themselves? Cause I've encountered that too. Um, I think we just, you know, just first off, I would imagine that most people think, well, they're the doctor, they're God, they know all these things that I don't know. But um, I'm interested to see what you think kind of the big reason is that we don't speak up. Oh, uh, there are many things, um, many intersections. I think first as women, you know, we're socialized to kind of play small and quiet mm-hmm. and don't challenge the system, yeah. particularly when you uh, put BIPOC women in the mix, black women, you know, black, indigenous people of color. We're all kind of like it's that layer of, OK, we don't want to make noise. But additionally, you don't want to call attention to yourself right. because our our job, whether you're fresh off the boat or first generation like me or whatever, is to like quietly assimilate. Yeah. Right. So you're not <laughs> supposed to make a ruckus. Um, I think that's part of it as well. And yeah, like you said, you, it's the whole like the doctor knows best. And so defer to the doctor. I think all those things come together and we yeah, are just kind of said, all right, let's just see what the doctor says. Let's just do what the doctor says. But you quickly learn that they may be well versed in cancer, but they are not they don't have a specialty on your body, my body, your breast, my breast. And so um it has to be collaborative or else I mean, you know, it's that one size fits all. There's a lot of um, bending and twisting and figuring it out. And this doesn't work and that doesn't work. Or this med doesn't work. It works for you. It doesn't work for me. Like I had terrible nausea doing chemo. Absolutely terrible. Whereas some people coast. Whereas some people can take, um, you know, the different meds that they give and they're fine. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't. So it's important for them to like go to work. <laughs> work with us <laughs> to figure it out. It's not easy though. It's not fun. I mean, who wants to be seen as the bad guy? Who wants, when you come to the doctor's office, you can feel the secretary's kind of like, <sighs> exhale, here she comes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mind doing that because I have, that was easy for me to do because I did that in school stuff. So like the office knows who I am. I know that you mm-hmm. probably don't like that you know who I am, but I'm okay with that. Um, but the whole medical complex is a completely different beast. Yeah. And I actually know that you are, were, are, I'm not sure what you're doing now, Mm -hmm. but that your profession is a nurse. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And so I would assume that a lot of people probably think that, you know, being a nurse, you have like the inside track to whatever. <laughs> you would think, right? Yeah, you would think like, yeah, of course you're in medicine. I'm sure Dr. Alexia people say to her, like, you must know. Now, we're all novices. And even if you're an oncologist, I would imagine still when you're the patient, first of all, the shock of it all, you might, you lose all your skills, you know? And um, yeah, exactly. Being a nurse doesn't, didn't prepare me for this. The only thing it could say was that I realized by being in the profession that people are human. You know, we kind of have this kind of like medical professional equals God complex type. They yes. are, are there and we're here. I'm like, nah, they're not. They smoke, they drink, they curse. They don't know everything. They pretend they do. Some do, some don't. Some are humble. Some are like braggadocious, you know? So that's the only thing that kind of prepped me for this was just recognizing that they're just regular, regular people like us and need to, I know some people say they work, you doctors work for me. I'm like, I don't like that language necessarily. I like to say we are working together. Yes. A team effort. Yeah. It's a team effort. It's a collaboration um, yeah, because I would imagine they want to make sure that I understand what's happening because they want compliance, right? They don't want to just prescribe something and know that, oh, that person just rejects it. I want to buy in. I want to understand why you chose this course of treatment versus the other. And mm -hmm. then it'll make me say, oh, I get it. And then I will comply. You know, I'll take the meds every day because I've gotten a proper education it just the systems run better when everybody's on the same accord but it doesn't always work that way because again humans equals fallible equals sometimes <laughs> ego gets in the way <laughs> i will say that following you um you actually did have an influence on me um i did not want to buy a pill sorter for a very long time <laughs> because i felt like i'm not I'm not 50. I'm not ready to get to that point. And then just seeing your reels about forgetting your medication, which happens all the time. Like, why don't I just do this? So yeah, I have a pill sorter. Thanks to you. <laughs> Woo! Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, thank you. And nice, that's nice to hear that, you know, you put these things out there so you don't know sometimes, <laughs> am I talking to myself? Does it resonate? Oh, and no, so, no. yes, it absolutely does. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. <laughs> that's good. Um, I wanted to ask, um, going back to you saying your son that dealt with leukemia, was there any kind of situation in his treatment, I guess, that really opened your eyes to learning to, you know, kind of speak up or question the doctor or, you know, make sure that you guys are on the same team? Oh, I'm glad you asked. There is. And it, it will live in me for the rest of my days. <laughs> um, he had a very tough treatment because whereas, you know, we as breast cancer patients or whatever, you get your treatment, you got to come in for chemo, but you're still at home, you're living your life or attempting to live a life. His was so um, acute. He was hospitalized and inpatient for the first three months of his treatment. Anyway, so we were like living in the hospital. I was, I was given a room at the, uh, the Ronald McDonald place, but I was like, I ain't going, I need to be at his bedside, particularly after this incident. Yeah. So he was given his treatment, the meds, and he was in such pain that they were giving him morphine. Um, 
he had like a pump, but also they were giving him some other meds. I mean, it was really tough. Okay. So I guess he got this med, this morphine or whatever pain killer thing. Every, let's just say whatever, six hours, the nurse would come and administer his meds, give him these pills that he would take. The way that these these pain relievers mostly work is just talking basic is that it like because your body is like fighting right pain and when you're pain your heart rate goes up and all these things are happening so it's part of what the pain reliever does is get your body to kind of basically chill out slows mm-hmm. your breathing slows your heart rate gets you in a place where you're comfortable and everything is clicking away mm-hmm. he had respirations we're all supposed to have a certain amount of respirations per minute whatever the norms are eight to 20 whatever it is his was like, basically, he was like inhaling, inhaling two times per minute, which means like barely nothing. Oh, His body was beyond relaxed. It was almost, dare I say, comatose. Here comes the nurse, very like matter of factly clicking her list, giving him his meds, including that med. Mm-hmm. Now, I was dozing up and I woke up and I saw this. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Why are you giving him First of all, he's not yelping. He's not in pain, active pain. And he's breathing so slow. Why are you giving him this? She was a little bit like, you dare question me type of thing. Yeah, I do question you because he's not in the position to speak for himself. So I have to advocate for him. Why are you giving him this? Well, it's part of his meds. I said, yes, but you have discretion as his healthcare care provider to decide, you know what, it was prescribed for him, but he doesn't need it. So I'm going to hold it, whatever. She was just going to give it because it was on her list of things to do. I said, well, if he's breathing two times a minute, you give him this, he'll cease breathing. You know what I mean? And so it was like a push and pull, but she couldn't give me answers as to why. All her answers were, it's on the list. You know what I mean? So I realized then and there that they're just, they. I speak in generalities because they're not, everyone's not like this, but like, these are people's jobs, right? Much like an accountant has to make sure the ledger adds up. And if he doesn't, oh, well, or if he has to. So whereas for us, it's life and death for them. It's a, it's a function of their job. So it's in our interest to get involved, to like push back because, you know, the repercussions are that you'll be unalive. You know what I mean? Or something terrible, terrible. And so I was like, oh, snap. Like, I need to be alert. I need to be able to have these people, like, answer these questions and, like, know it better than they know it so that I can spot irregularities. I can spot shoddy treatment. I can spot. That was a game changer for me. And so I was like, oh, all right. This is what advocacy looks like. It doesn't just mean, like, you know, Staying quiet, it means sometimes being the bad guy, having people like roll their eyes at you and catch an attitude, but that's okay Mm -hmm. because we have to remember, right? Like we as people, you don't want people to hate you. You want to go through life and people like you, but at the end, we're not, they're not coming over for Thanksgiving dinner. We're not (laughs) going out for happy hour and chilling. You know what I'm saying? So them liking me still stops at the doors of the hospital. So it really shouldn't matter whether they like me or not. They're going to treat me fairly. They're yeah. going to do right by me and my family. And so 
that's where it clicked for me, I guess, because it was, I didn't want to not be liked. I wanted the nurses to like me, <laughs> but I ne- I realized that them liking me doesn't mean that they're going to treat me any better. The treatment should be the same regardless. So abandon that line of thinking that you need to get people to like you in order to do right by you. And once you do that, once you have that in place, then you can just not have anybody mess with you, basically. <laughs> I think that's interesting because we all do that, right? We go, um, even when you're feeling your worst, I feel like a lot of us still going to the, the hospital for chemo or having a baby or whatever it is, you know, we want to put some makeup on maybe or put like some nice clothes mm-hmm. on because we do want them to like us. And we do think if they like us, they're going to like give us extra or go out of their way, you know, some kind of extra yeah. way, but obviously that's not the case. It's not. I mean, listen, I, we're, again, we're human. We're not robots. So I'm sure that maybe they'll bring you the good ginger ale and the like <laughs> nice snacks if you curry favor. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's obvious. However, um, like I said, the baseline treatment should still be the same, regardless of whether they like you or not. So you're better off speaking up to, and I think, yeah, you just, you want to be able to say, like, if this didn't work, that didn't work. How would you know if you're not involved in it, if you're not having these people answer these questions? Again, they get to leave all of this. When they take off their uniform, when they get home, they're also taking off all this stuff, mm-hmm. all your problems, all this medication. They're leaving it. I remember, if I can say another little anecdote, when my, my son, again, another lesson. Oh, my son was terrible. Woo! <laughs> my God. I mean, he was just like, they'd be like, good morning. And he'd be like, I'm so good about it. And like, or not answer them or just, and I'd be like, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm just behind him trying to like make everything smooth and nice because he was just, and the nurse said to me, mom, listen, we get it. He's sick. He's fighting for his life. If he doesn't want to engage in pleasantries, we don't take it personally because we recognize that he is going through the worst period that he could have never imagined. So don't worry about it. She like gave me permission to just not have to run behind him and like do all these things. And so the nurses and the healthcare professionals that get it, get it. They know, listen, she's maybe not going to be her most cheery self. She has stage three breast cancer with no history or like she has, she's a threat, you know? So let, uh, let that stuff go. Let it go. I have. And it's rendered results. (laughs) It's interesting to me because I think, you know, when you first kind of get into this community and you hear people talk about advocacy, you think that advocacy is, you know, being on the steps of the Capitol with these big signs and these big groups and you're chanting, but it's just as simple as asking why they're prescribing a medication or Mm -hmm. why they aren't asking certain questions. Yeah, absolutely. Agree. So he was diagnosed two years prior to your diagnosis. Absolutely, yeah. Were you treated at the same hospital where he was? He, lucky for him, I guess, he, um, well, not lucky, but he was 14, so he um, is um, pediatric. He was treated in the pediatric unit, and I was same within the same network, but part of the adult unit. Um, Gotcha. But they did were like, hey, mom, you know, some of the staff work both places. So they're like, oh, 
what your son is, you know, this time it's me, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Did you feel like you had a good team when you were going through treatment? I initially, uh, you know, it's a cancer, all chronic illnesses, but cancer in particular, I guess, is so romanticized in like media. You know, I thought yeah. I was going to be diagnosed and that my town would rally and <laughs> yes. <laughs> they'd be making pies and leaving them all warm <laughs> in my, on my doorstep <laughs> with like, you know, um, wasn't that way. Wasn't pretty. Wasn't nice. Wasn't cute. People didn't rally partly also because culturally I wasn't telling anybody. Mm. Um, but yeah, it just, yeah, it couldn't have prepared me. His cancer didn't prepare me for my cancer in, in that kind of way. It was still a shock to the system. I had to like relearn the skills and stuff. It was not the same cancer. Like you just think you know all about the cancer until you get cancer and you realize you know nothing about cancer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, did I lose the point? What were you asking again? No, I just wanted to know yeah. if you... Like if your experience with the like the hospital, the nurses and the doctors, did you have yeah. or did you feel like you had a good team, like you were really heard? When I was initially diagnosed, I was in a whole different system actually. Um I um because even getting my diagnosis, I kind I found my lump. I found my lump two weeks after passing my physical with flying colors. So when I found my lump, I was like, Well, my doctor gave me a breast exam. So like did this pop up in two weeks or like, I felt like something was off. Even when I walked away, they were like, Oh, your vitamin D is low. And you're like a little bit of anemic. So when I came back to him, I had enough wherewithal to say to the doctor, like I said to myself, let him find it. Let me not show him where it is. So that in case I'm bugging out, you know, and I might be bugging out. So he was kind of like, you're back again. Oh, you're looking at, he's looking at his notes. Like, why are you back here? I'm like, doc, something ain't right. You know, I found the law, but so I was like, can you, he looked and he was like, I don't see what you're talking about. You're fine. And so I had to take his hand. I'm like, doc, okay. What about this though? And he was kind of like harumphy, like, Mah. I yeah. mean, dance breasts and like you're 30. What was it? Six or something. So he just was like, Brushing me off. He wasn't telling me that there might be a potential for something, but let's see it through. He was very much like, now you're making a big deal out of nothing without using those words, of course. Mm-hmm. And so I said, doc, no, you know, my son got leukemia out of the blue. It's not without reason to feel like this might be something right. out of the blue. Can we just. And so I'm like, why is he gatekeeping a, m- a mammogram? Like he ain't paying for it. Like. Get yeah. out the way, sir, and just write the script and let me go take care of my business. But there's yeah. a level of gatekeeping that these people do that they're they're between you and where you need to be. And so you're kind of trying to find a way to get around him. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm taking a long route to say that like that experience, that was the part of it in the beginning where I felt like I can't trust this guy because he didn't find it. And I'm going to need for him and I to be on the same page. So let me keep going. So I moved into the network where my son was treated, um, even though, like I said, I was in the adult part. And for the most part, you know, my oncology team, I was I felt good about the center. I felt good about and you don't even know these things when you get cancer. You're like, oh, I want to go where all right. the cancer people go. And like 
you don't realize that like cancer, you become in the chronic like category mm-hmm. now. So even something as it seems so trivial, but believe me, it's a big deal. Parking. That was oh, part of my decision also into leaving yeah. the network where I was because parking was hell. And I, I was like, did it. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute now. I'm going to come here every like two weeks plus follow-up appointments plus this and this. And I got to put coins in and like have to worry about, I was like, no, no, no. So, you know, I went to a place where I don't have to worry about that. Like it's less, one less thing to stress about cancer is enough. Absolutely. So yeah, once I left, I felt more at ease. I'm, it's not over. There's always fighting. You know, I've posted about me having to fire doctors and leave one practice and go to the other and <laughs> write letters and stuff. So it ain't sweet, but it's definitely better than where I was initially. (laughs) Which leads me to my next question. Oh, here we go. I'm actually familiar with, um, let's call it email gate, whatever you want to call it, right? I'm familiar with it. Um, Yeah. And it was something that you posted on Instagram. It was very funny, but it was a very teachable moment, I think, to people in the situation where they don't feel like they're getting the care that they deserve. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, do you want, would you like, Oh, sure. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. It, yeah. It is email gate or gastro gate. I'm not sure <laughs> you haven't worked on <laughs> how I want to bill it yet, but um, yeah, you know, when you go through cancer, like now you become uh, like, and what is it? My father calls it like a professional patient. Like you're oh, just gosh. in every yeah. discipline, every specialty. You go derm, you go to dermatology twice a year. You got to see gyno twice a year. Yeah. So gastro, I've had, had gastro issues post cancer. And so finding a good gastroenterologist was important. And I looked and I checked online and the, the, the health grades and all that stuff and found what I thought was a perfect match. And Really, it was. Office visit-wise, he was personable. He took his time in the appointment. I didn't see him as they sometimes do kind of sneak looks at their watch to be like, mm-hmm. nah, nah, got to go. So it was a great in-person appointment. And he like was like, all right, I'm going to give you this med and call me in two weeks. And then we can talk. And then I'll write you a prescription. So I was like, all right, we are cooking with gas. I got me a good doctor. But it's not just the doctor, right? When you pick a doctor or you pick a specialty, you're also picking their nurse practitioner, their front office who picks up their phone. If you leave a message, will they call you back? And so that became the problem with this particular office was that as directed, I called him back so that he can give me the insight on whether he left a message. No one called back. Secretary took a note. She said she was going to let him know. Days had passed. Finally, I was like, well, you know, I, you kind of do it and you move on. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm looking at my my chart, which everybody looks at my chart. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, hold up now. I had to call this doctor in like July. And here we are in September. I think it was almost breast cancer month, October. And I'm like, can I take this med? Will he call me? You know? Wow. And so that's when I really got pissed off because I said, listen, you know, what if you're in a really critical situation and you're trying to get through to your doctor? Is this the kind of treatment that they do that they just pass you along and there's no one to so I called I escalated which is what you do and went to the office manager everyone should avail themselves of <laughs> your doctor's office manager because they're there to manage the office 
Right. And I found her just as ineffective. <laughs> oh, wow. And then I had to pull in my skills because you know what? Sometimes you make these calls. You think the calls are the key. And really, we are a nation of like, show me the receipts. Yes. What are the facts, the figures, the dates, the numbers? And so I straight up was like writing the term paper back to school. I was like at my chart with a pen and paper. I went to go because chemo brain. I was like, all right. I went to an appointment on January, on June, did it July. And I created an entire chart of like when I went and when the email was and this and that. Because they'll try to gaslight you. Mm-hmm. That's just the nature of cover your ass in uh-huh. any in the industry. And so, yeah, I really escalated it and this and that because I felt for me, I'm sure maybe Miranda, you feel that way. Is that like when I first started doing this kind of stuff and I was new, I probably would have just felt jilted and just went and found another doctor and like didn't give them feedback. But I feel now as part of my advocacy, I'm not saying everyone is there, but like at the stage that I'm at now, I'm like change will come when we let them know that there's a problem because they just think that people might move away and, oh, that patient is gone. Maybe they, but if you let them give them the feedback, they have to do something about that, by the way, like law, like internal reporting and stuff like that. So I was like, "Mm -mm. I am logging my complaints and I am showing all the receipts. And that's what I did. (laughs) And that's what I put on the ground, every email, every call, Every everything I called the office manager, called her back again. And when I felt that she was ineffective, I went up the totem pole now to like patient relations. Mm-hmm. And I kept going up and up and up. And I was able to get a call with patient relations that apologized profusely because again, this is not me just saying all oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. I was showing her receipts. And so she had to respect the gangster. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, again, like I said, I didn't do it for me because I think that was the part that really um, had me hot was when the office manager was like, well, this, you know, never happens. And she kind of tried to gaslight me and dismiss me by making it seem that I was some sort of wild card that this never had happened to. And I was like, excuse me, ma'am, you say this to me, but maybe that's because no one else has had the opportunity to come back and give you this feedback. Don't tell me that I'm just some anomaly. That's not the appropriate response. The appropriate response is that we apologize profusely. We're not in the business of disregarding our patients. And here's how we can make amends. Uh Anyway, girl, long story short, I left that practice, but I didn't leave them quietly in the night. That's for sure. (laughs) They know me. People don't realize that every hospital has some type of, whether it's patient relations or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever the complaint department is. Mm -hmm. And I learned that just from volunteering in the hospital, that if you have an issue, you talk to the office manager. If you have an issue with that person, then you go to the head of the department and so on and so on. And yes, someone in this chain should, you know, come to you and go over whatever your concerns are and try to fix those. So Yep. A lot of people just, they're just like, I think you're exactly right. We have, you know, shitty treatment and you just kind of eh, throw your hands up and move on. Yep. No. Well, before you leave, before you move on, you make sure you put everybody on notice because it'll help the next person. So when she, when this office manager feels the next complaint, if that should happen, 
she ain't going to tell that person, well, this was just out of the norm because they will remember me. And maybe that'll make them kind of comport themselves accordingly. Because <laughs> they're like, man, she going to snitch on us. We better get, we better get this going. <laughs> you need some Christmas cards that you can send out to people like that. You know, <laughs> how are you? Merry Christmas. Remember me? Remember me? Maybe you don't remember this face, but you remember my email address. <laughs> All right. Um, For me, like that, that Kermit Frog <laughs> meme when he's like typing all furiously, that is me, unabashed. It was a very important lesson. And I think you showed a lot of, I'll just say like, I probably would have wrote an email and then had to wait to send it the next day because it wouldn't have been as professional or to the point or polite. I don't, or I don't even think your email was polite. It was just. I, I don't know. It was just matter of yeah. fact. Matter, well, yes, yeah. That's a that's a tip I'll give, and I, I know, like you know, when you're so upset and you're hot under the collar, and you just want to tell them about themselves. Yes. Listen, we're all justified. Like I really could have given him the business, but I felt like you know what I was sitting comfortably on the fact that I was right and there was wrong, and the facts were on my side. So that presenting it almost like a lawyer would just lay out their case mm-hmm. goes further than being, because you know, they want to say we're women, black women, we're emotional, of course, we're yeah. aggressive and all these things, because that's just human nature, right? Mm-hmm. Particularly when it's like front office tend to be non-black BIPOC people and we right. the patients are black people. So already there, there's the cultural divide. So they're like, here she come swinging yeah. her neck, getting started, even though we're justified in our anger. So I was really kind of trying to be dispassionate about it. Just July 6th appointment, July 7th, call the doctor, laid out the case, simple and plain. And so there's no emotion behind it. Like, Oh, damn. She said she called on the 6th and left a message and she called on the 8th and left a message and no one called her back. Yeah. Then you, they can then put the pieces together and be like, well, you know what? She's justified because I, too, would be upset as opposed to me being, well, this this bitch. didn't know <laughs> because guess what? Spoiler alert. The bitch is implied. <laughs> <laughs> That's the office writing as per my e- my previous email, like, bitch, didn't you read what I wrote you before? Exa- exactly. You have to really master the art. Again, not, I'm not telling people to not be their complete selves, yeah. but you know what? We're trying to get results. And so, you know, if you need to, it's like playing a video game. You need to pass this level. If it, There's certain things you need to do to achieve the results you want. So yes, be yourself, but Try to do it in this kind of way, and it'll get you further. At least one hopes. Yeah. That's 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 been my kind of like north star. It's like you know what I'm trying to achieve this goal. Let me just get there in the most direct route. Yeah. Yeah. Going through your son's leukemia and then going through your breast cancer situation, learning all these things. What would you say would be the definition of advocacy to you? It is simply put, prioritizing yourself. 
really. And like, just to like strip it down to the most plain, it's really saying, you know what? My health comes first. My peace of mind comes first. And then all these other things align with that when that's your North star, because if you say that my health comes first, that means anybody that's not working on a team to achieve that goal, you got beef with. Mm-hmm. If it means like, you know what? I have only an hour to come to the appointment. And so when they give me the appointment, they have to give me the one that's in the morning. It's all these pieces that go under that one umbrella, which is I come first. I am prioritizing myself, not their comfort, not their whatever, me. I'm the patient and me being healthy and strong and satisfied is what we need to work towards here mm-hmm. above all. Cause everybody should be walking in their doctor's appointment feeling like I'm the most important person in here. Mm-hmm. For sure. And the doctor and, and the support staff should be making you feel like you're poor. What what, what are you going to deprioritize me and just disregard me? No. Mm-mm. Not today. You're gonna, not today. You're going to prioritize you, Miranda, because you're important and prioritize me because I'm important and everybody should be comporting themselves accordingly. That's it. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have no problems if they're like that. <laughs> it seems pretty basic. You would think, you know, everybody would just kind of fall in line with that same thinking. Uh, but but not because and you know we can start talking about society and people being selfish but <laughs> that's a whole nother zoom call but um yeah it really is that simple and but it's hard because that's in that the black woman BIPOC woman's mantra is that like everybody's important before we put ourselves you know like <sighs> we come last that's the story of our lives that's how our families raised us, that you, you're there to serve. You serve your children, you serve your partner, you, you know, you serve church or whatever it is. So yeah. So it's, it's, that isn't that, I bet you that would be the, that would be the poll or like the question that I want asked and have everybody be like, Oh snap. Like for me and for so many people that BIPOC women that I've encountered in this breast cancer journey, the first time in our lives that we put ourselves first, was when we got sick. Uh-oh. We tell it on ourselves because this is the true tea that like no other time in our lives were we able to be like, I'm not doing this or I need to do this because it's important to me and I come first. Girl, I see your face. Hello, I can't hear you, Miranda. You got I'm guilty. I'm absolutely yeah. guilty of that. 100%. And even so, it's still hard because you have guilt because your family's mm-hmm. taking on all your jobs or they're not doing it right. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's- well, it's, it's hard. Again, we've, like you said, like all roads, my whole life, it was just like the younger brothers go first. We got to cater to the parents and their first generation. And then they got to prove it. And so like, yeah, me being sick was the first time that you're like the center of attention. Yeah. The main character of your life was when you're sick. And that is the worst way to get attention. Yeah, right. But that's how it is. And so it's so uncomfortable and you don't know what to do because you've never had to exercise that muscle. But here we are, because if you don't do it, your life is on the line. Mm-hmm. Woo! 
dropping some straight fire truths. I mean, well, like, I mean, I'm thinking about it as I'm saying it. I'm like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, it's easier to say it to someone else, but when I think you apply it to yourself, it's like completely, completely different, you know? Yeah. Wow. I think the, the biggest takeaways that I have is from our conversation, the biggest takeaways I have would be to um, keep up with your my chart. Everything mm-hmm. that happens, you can see it on your my chart. You can send messages through your my chart. You can see responses. You can see if they read your emails mm-hmm. through my chart. Um, also, avail yourself to the office manager because <laughs> they're going to be the, um, I don't know if I would say gatekeeper, but they're going to be the person that's going to help you kind of get in, make Absolutely. friends with the office staff because they're always going to hopefully – they're going to help you if you help them. Exactly. Um, and then the last thing would that you spoke on was just being dispassionate. When you are kind of bringing up your issues to your doctor, try to leave your emotion out of it and just stick with the facts. So that way their vision of you isn't clouded by any kind of emotional stereotypes that they might have. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I guess just prioritizing Absolutely. Yep. At in and out of the cancer diagnosis, you know, it, 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 prioritizing yourself shouldn't just be relegated to making sure you get the first appointment or the this and that. It's like should, the lessons that we learn in this, again, we, we use the word journey because we haven't figured out what we, we can use. But like the lessons learned in this cancer journey shouldn't stay in the cancer journey or shouldn't stay in cancer land. It should also extend to outside of the cancer journey, right? Because it's like now we're entering into like Miranda 2.0 and Trish 2.0 and like Marissa and everybody 2.0. And so you're like, okay, I can't just like leave that there and continue where I left off. I need to take all that lessons that like putting myself first and advocating and speaking up and like noticing something off and saying something on it as opposed to swallowing it. Like that should then now apply to all the aspects of your life because we're complete people. Right. And so, yeah, it's important to not just leave that there. Oh, that was then. No, that was then leading you to where you are now and where we continue to go. Beautifully spoken. hundred percent agree. Thank you. This is my last question for you. All right, here we go. What do you enjoy more? Dancing at your chair during hip hop happy hour or dancing at Target in the aisle? Ooh, good question. <laughs> um, okay, hold on now. Target, I, I like both. I know it's a cheesy answer, but I like both because, because dancing at my chair doing the live particularly if people are hop, like hyped in the comments, like, you know, they're into it. But, but there's something I find particularly uh, amusing about the dancing and that one with the whole, like anybody can come around furniture and say, what the hell is that woman just dancing next to the comforter jeeps? Yeah. <laughs> but then also like, I know the person watching my grandma at the time is getting a chuckle and they too, like I've seen a couple people like tag me I when they're too. turning up. Yeah, at, you know, at the, on the aisles. So, I, you know, I, I just, 
I do these kind of things because I really want folks to just finding joy or prioritizing joy doesn't always have to be these grand sweeping. I'm going to Paris and backpacking for a month and like, it could be like little small moments in your everyday life that you turn a, like a regular, regular thing into a joyous moment. Like, first of all, shopping at Target is joyous, but like <laughs> now you add a little razzle dazzle of you turning up to Dolly Parton right there by the kitchen utensils. Hello, that's fun. It it's is fun, fun for me to do. And it's fun for me to know that someone is watching and getting a chuckle. So I would say both, but maybe the Target one, because that one, I just feel the ripple of that one, maybe more. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. But I have seen people start to do it now, too. And it's like it's catching on little by little, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, just I find little things, you know, find little moments that are joyful. Walk into the post office, whatever. Put your own spin on it so that, yeah, we don't we can't all backpack through Europe. The pockets sometimes won't allow or sometimes the health won't allow because believe me, I have my limits. My joints yeah. are some are not on one page, on the same page mm-hmm. with the rest of my body. And so the most I can do probably sometimes is turn it up at Target. But that's okay. Well, this conversation has brought me joy. I will definitely <laughs> be um, dancing the next time I get to my local <laughs> Target for sure. <laughs> Good. But also, Hip Hop Happy Hour has brought not just me joy, but a lot of other people joy. I know you ladies, you and uh, Tiff started this right around the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. So how can other people find you and, and get on this joy bandwagon? Great, great, great. Yeah. Um, Hip Hop Happy Hour. Um, it's every Friday. Um, well, you know, it exists, but every Friday we go live. Friday, 7 Eastern. Um, for Pacific, we go live at the Hip Hop Happy Hour account. It's hip hop underscore happy hour. And it's just a place where folks can be. Really, we have no grand plan. We could be joyous. We could be miserable. We can lament about like lost hair, lost breasts, lost friends, mm-hmm. but then also maybe find a little humor in those moments of like, I tried to slick down this like a little baby fuzz that came back in after chemo and like, here I am looking a hot mess express. <laughs> you know, it's just like finding community in each other in this like terrible time in our lives and just kind of cheering each other and getting each other through. So Tiff and I enjoy doing it. We play the music. We invite folks to the main stage to either, like I say, vent or celebrate. Um, and it's a little something that we do that's like kind of a gift to the community, but that we also are enriched by. And so we have our separate things. Tiff has her account. I have my account, but we come together like a mighty Voltron <laughs> on Fridays <laughs> to do this thing. And so, um, and we love it because folks have found their community, like other communities. Like we mm-hmm. love the fact that we're the water cooler of the cancer and chronic illness community. And so people like your very own Veronica, who's a baddie, found for the rest of us by watching one of our lives. Yeah, yeah. And we reposted something and she found you guys and, and she's home with y'all. And so we just love that folks come in, sometimes as newbies, and walk away with friends just from being in the comments. So we invite everyone to come join the party every Friday um, as we gear up for us entering into year three of this little 
pastime endeavor that we do. It's great. I love it. And I, my life would not be complete without the <laughs> amount of John Takata and Buffalo stance <laughs> that I have received. So yeah, my kids are know. now. I don't know whether or not to apologize or <laughs> to no, ask. it's great. It's yeah. great. I love it. Um, and yeah, we love it hopefully too. everybody else will check it out too. And they'll love it just as much. And I would say that I hope you ladies don't have to keep doing this, but you know, I'm glad that you do. Yeah. Same. Hopefully we won't have to you know, do this for the rest of your lives, but you know, we'll still be around. We'll be still kicking it, listening to you and, watching y'all dance and all that good stuff too. Absolutely. Love you guys. Love for the rest of us. And thank you for allowing me to kind of get some of that noise out of my head, because I think that's, I think that's what we can do, right? When you get, you go through this, it's terrible. Some of us walk away and that's your right. You're done with cancer. Goodbye. I'm resuming my activities. I never want to talk about it and see it, but for the other, uh, other folks like myself, like yourself, that now I want to take this kind of pain into some sort of purpose, make sense of it. Right. Um, I feel like it's our duty, if we can, to kind of impart whatever we picked up along the way. Because that's how I got here, by yeah. someone saying something to me. And I was like, oh, okay. And so that's my plan, is to just like passing it along um, with the hopes that one day we won't have to do this at all. But until that time, here I be. Yeah. Well, thank you, Trisha. I really appreciate you being here. And this has been a great conversation and I can't wait to, to see you online again. That's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. This is another Batty Creation brought to you by For the Rest of Us. Don't forget to subscribe to Batty to Batty wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at For the Rest of Us, on Twitter at The Breast of Us, and check us out online at breastofus.com. Thanks for listening.